Uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I've already seen you, but it's good to see you again. Okay, so uh, I know that, uh, that this might feel a little redundant, but if you'd stand for the Word of God today, uh, we stand and sit and stand and sit, but this is a, there's a reason we stand for the Word of God, because we believe that it never returns void when it's spoken, and so we stand in respect for what God has said before. And so this is from the book of Galatians, chapter 3. It says this. It says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Amen? Why don't you grab a seat? All right, just a couple things before we begin. Uh, we got a couple birthdays in the house. Uh, Katie Sealander, I don't know if she's with us today, but it's her birthday over the weekend, so we celebrate her. I don't know how old she is. How old is she? 25. 25. Everyone, send her a text at some point. Say, happy birthday, Katie. You should have been in church. Um, uh, also, uh, our very good friend, Ron Short, it's his birthday today. Are you up, are you up top, Ron? There you are. Happy birthday, Ron. We love you up in the balcony. Um, one other quick thing, it's the first Sunday of the month, and we are back to our benevolent offering for our first Sunday of every month. So um, the commitment today is any loose cash that gets put in the offering boxes today will go straight to our benevolent fund today. So just check your pockets. The benevolent fund goes to help people in need practically in our community and in our area and in our church. And so um, if you have any loose cash or change or any of that stuff, um, if you could just go drop it in the box, and then it'll go straight to people who need it the most. Uh, the last thing before we begin our message is yesterday we had our first men's ministry breakfast. If you were there, could you just raise your hand real quick? Y'all, yeah. We had 35 guys come out to, to, um, to eat breakfast, and we had a good breakfast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Rebecca, for making biscuits. Um, we had a great breakfast, but then after that, we just dug in for a couple hours to say, what is it that we want out of a men's group moving forward? And we just had the greatest time. And so we, the best is yet to come for men at the church, and we're so excited. Uh, so just keep praying for the guys here and for the group that's going to be meeting. All right. Sue, so sounds good? Cool. Sounds good. All right, well, today we are going to be starting a summer series that might be familiar for some of you. Uh, it's called Let Me Explain. And in this series, extended series, week by week, we're going to be taking a closer look at some of the things that we do at, here at Highlands, the things that we believe or the things we practice that might use some commentary or, or a bit of explanation. Things that we might make assumptions about, like, oh, of course you know how to do that, or of course you know why we do that. Well, for many, both in and outside of the church, they might still be scratching their head like, what is happening here? Like, question, have, have you ever jumped into a moment um, or a situation where it appears you're the only one that has no idea what to do? 
I remember for the first time, I, I went to one of those Mongolian barbecue places. Have you ever been to one of those things? It's, it's amazing. You pick out your stuff, you hand it to the guy, they cook it up, and it's delicious. But the first time I went, guys, I was lost. So I was seated at the table, I was in the door, sitting at the table, looking around. Everyone else seemed to know what was happening, but I was just sitting there, like, waiting for some instructions. The menu was written in a different language. Uh, there wasn't clear signage. I couldn't find the bathroom. And you know, bathrooms are important the first time you go to a place. And so I just felt lost in the process. I, I, I praise the Lord, eventually someone from the restaurant came over and gave me um, some instructions because I needed someone to explain it to me. And now I know what to do, and now I know where to go. But I needed someone to explain it to me. And y'all, as hard as it might be to believe, coming to church for the first time, maybe even for the hundredth time, can sometimes feel the same. Like going to a new restaurant where everything seems foreign, because there's so many things that we do, good things that are just different. They're different. I mean, think about it. We, we show up on a Sunday, instead of going to the beach, we show up on a Sunday and we stand in rows and we all sing the same song together. I, I just how often in your everyday life do you and your best friends all stand up and sing with a hundred other people? Doesn't happen. Now, now what about, what, about uh, what we just did here? We come forward, we wait in the line, and then eat a little piece of bread, right? Dipped in juice. And we do it every week. Just think about this for a second. How often do you and a hundred other people stand in a line and get a little piece of bread dipped in juice. You might understand basically what the concept is for, but there are so many both in and outside of these doors where it still might seem foreign. Things that we believe define us. Things that, if we're honest, we might not always know all the details. Beyond the traditions, beyond all the things handed down over now, scripturally, over thousands of years. Which is why, again, we're taking the summer to brush up on some of the big ideas, some of the concepts, some of the questions, practices, perspectives that make us who we are, make us the church. And so I just want to encourage you throughout the summer, stick around. It's going to be a fun summer as we tackle some really interesting things, but also some potentially hard or controversial or polarizing things that the church has adopted that help define us and make us who we are. It's going to be great, I promise. So all that said, who's ready? Everyone ready? Okay. Today we're going to be revisiting and building on something that we talked about last year. It's, I would say, one of the most essential practices of the Christian life, at least in, in our family of churches and our faith tradition, and that is baptism. So we have a lot to cover today, if, you, if you're taking notes. Uh, just let me, let me explain why we get baptized. Let me explain baptism. Quick show of hands, who here has been baptized? Yes, this is going to be easy then. So, I remember my baptism, and I was uh, fourth grade, probably. My dad was a pastor. I loved the church. I had a really positive experience with church, which eventually led me to a spiritual commitment to Jesus, and, and I and honestly don't remember a specific, like, line-in-the-sand moment, but for me, it was just like, the more I, I grew in belief, the more I, I grew in belonging to a community. Does that make sense? So I grew up seeing folks get baptized, and, and, and so there came a time where I said, hey, mom, dad, I want to get baptized. So a couple weeks later, the big old tub at church gets filled up, and I get my shorts and my t-shirt on, and I get, my, I get my way into the water, and it was this moment, this beautiful moment that I'll, I'll never forget. But here's the deal. Even though, I, even though 
I knew I wanted to do it. Looking back, I'm confident I didn't understand all that was happening in that moment, or really the full extent to what was happening in me. Does that make sense? I knew it was the next step. Everyone was doing it. And so I knew that it was the next step in my faith journey. I knew it's what Christians did. You get in the tub, I get dunked according to my Baptist roots, but, but some of its importance for why and what comes next was still a bit foreign to me. I hadn't yet discovered all of its significance, which makes sense, honestly, because I was young and, and my baptism was really just the beginning of my active faith story. It reminds me actually of, of getting married. June 18, 2011, one of the most defining days of my life, Rebecca and I, we made it official. That's 12 years in a couple weeks. Isn't that wild how time just disappears? 12 years of marriage. And if you don't know our story, we met on, um, on Facebook through some mutual friends in Tennessee. She was in Mississippi, I was in Minnesota. We started dating eventually after a rather tumultuous friendship. We started October 4 of 2010. So do the math here. October 4 of 2010. We got engaged January 30 of 2011, and we got married June 18 of 2011. So like eight months in total of our friendship to courtship to engagement to marriage. And it was a quick one, but when you know, you just know. You just know. And honestly, I knew on October 4th of 2010 that I loved her, and I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. I even told her on our first date, and if any dudes here are still looking to get married in the future, I don't recommend this practice. But I told her on, on the first date, I said, listen, Rebecca, I don't want to date you unless you want to marry me. Huh? Huh? How about that for some commitment, right? And I remember sitting in the basement. I had this duplex in Minneapolis. Um, I lived in half, we, so we were hanging out in the basement. It was kind of like our first date. And, um, and I remember sitting there thinking, like, I just got to put this out there because I don't want to waste my time, right? And so I said, babe, uh, I said, Bex, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to date unless you want to see yourself get married. And, and she said to me, and this was so beautiful, and this is what's kept us together, she said, she said, let's go. She said, let's go. So we made plans, and after eight months later, we're standing at the altar, right? So again, the timeline is this. October 4, our story began. It's the beginning of who we became. January 30, I made a commitment to her called engagement, a covenant to her, and on June 18, we made it official. And even though, friends, we were certain and so absolutely committed to the future together in that ceremony, we were also, just like baptism, totally unaware of all that moment meant and all that would come to mean and all the days and, and months that would be coming next. Why? Because the wedding, it wasn't the end of our story. It was just the beginning, right? It's the beginning of the first step of our life together. Now, what am I getting at? In this life, we all stand at the threshold of moments life-changing moments that tell a story and project a shift in our identity. Even if we don't always know the full extent of that change or when the change would take us uh, or where the change would take us at the time, we all stand in these moments of transition from weddings to graduations to birthdays to adoptions. We all experience change that changes us. But often it takes years for us to really see the fruit of the difference. We've all been there in the mystery of moments. 
which is why what we're covering today, baptism, is so important because baptism is one of those often misunderstood moments of decision where the further you get from it, the greater the change from it becomes. Just like standing on the altar, confessing vows of love and devotion together, baptism is meant to be the beginning of your journey together with God into the great unknown of faith. So again, all that said, with the rest of our time today, I'd like to explain some of the significance, the reason for, and the meaning behind baptism that might be assumed, it might be misunderstood, or it might just be missing. And I know for some of you this might seem elementary, like, you know, I'm a pastor, I've been there, done that, but I tell you what, what I found is the further you go down this road of faith with God, the more those first steps seem to matter. The further and the longer you're together, the more significant those early moments become and the more you grow to appreciate them. So even if this might seem a bit elementary for some, stick with me because what we're covering today should not only bring focus to our faith, but also encouragement to keep on going. All right, so... As we get started today, I believe to truly understand this practice of baptism, this ordinance of baptism, what it is, what it does, why we do it, and the way we do it, we need to first understand the concept of covenant. Covenant. So what is a covenant? I got it on the screen here. A covenant is simply a promise or agreement made between two parties. Sounds just a bit like marriage. It's a promise or an agreement made between two or more parties. Now, why does this matter to baptism? Let me explain. So all throughout the Bible, we see God making promises. We see God making commitments and covenants between himself and his people. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses and even King David, God made promises. He made covenants, these agreements that he would be their God and they would be his people that he would be faithful to them and they would be faithful to him. This is a covenant, a promise. And God, he obviously held up his end of the deal all the time. But God also did so much to help us or to help them stay, stay true to their promise and, and be faithful to him too. And so starting with um, giving them, God helped us by giving them what's called the law. And we heard about this in our opening scripture. The law, the law of Moses, which is an expanded upon 10 commandments. And Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, that we heard earlier, he says that the law was their guardian. It protected them by giving them a clear instruction for how to live and to keep their promise to God, to live in the promise and the covenant they made. So God gave them this law to help them, but he also gave them a sign that set them apart and reminded them of who they were to God and the covenant they made to one another. Does anyone know what the initial sign of the covenant was? Circumcision, everybody. Who knows about circumcision? Let me explain it. You guys ready? Just kidding. So God made a covenant. We all know. We all know. So God made a covenant with Israel, and it was enforced and protected by the law, but it was certified through a sign through circumcision. Cool. And it worked for a while. It did. But over time, it soon became obvious, especially if you're reading through the Old Testament, it became obvious that this covenant wasn't going to achieve its intended purpose, an eternal purpose, because Israel, just like we, us, Israel couldn't live up to their expectations. 
So God made another plan, and this is the plan that we celebrate every Sunday, to take matters into his own hands. God decided to send himself as Jesus to carry Israel's inability to be faithful by being a perfect Israel, fulfilling the old covenant that God made and ushering in a brand new promise. A brand new promise that we see revealed in Galatians 3, our opening scripture. I just wanna read it one more time for you. See, so Paul writes this. He says, in the old covenant from verse 23, before the way of Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard of the law, by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. And this new law, this new covenant revealed, the new promise, it no longer made, uh, made us right before God through obedience to the law, but instead by grace through faith. And this is verse 26. It says, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Where the old covenant, which was a gift to humanity, it's important to remember that the law, which sometimes feels repressive, it feels constricting, like God doesn't want us to have a good time. Like the law, the old covenant was actually a gift to the world. It told us how to live and, and exist under God's good world. But now because Jesus came and fulfilled this law perfectly, replacing the old with the new covenant, good standing with God is now found not in our ability to be good, but rather in Christ's ability to be great. So I just wanna say this one more time, and I need to hear the biggest amen after this one. Jesus came, because Jesus came, our good standing with God is now found not in our ability to be good, but in Christ's ability to be great. Amen. amen. Verse 27, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Incredible. Now Paul, he expands on this new promise, this new covenant in the book of Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. He says this, it's on the screen. He says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This is so good. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of all the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed the public, them publicly by his victor victory over them on the cross. And friends, this is the foundation for the new covenant. This is the foundation for covenant. God loves us. He wanted to be in right relationship with us, and so he made a plan. Old Covenant says, I'll be your God, but you need to live right. And, and this mark of circumcision will be a sign and a reminder of my faithfulness to you and your obedience to the world. 
Old covenant. Now, when they couldn't live right, Jesus came, lived right for them, lived right for all of us. So now when we place our faith in him and live under his covering of righteousness, when we come to Christ, here's that new covenant. We experience a metaphorical spiritual circumcision as he cuts away the sinful nature once and for all. I wonder how many of us think today that when God looks at us, he sees a sinner. When God looks, if you've given your life to Jesus, when God sees you, he does not see a sinner. He sees a son, he sees a daughter, he sees a new creation. And so when, he, when we come to Jesus, we experience a metaphorical, spiritual circumcision as he cuts away our sinful nature for good. By faith, Jesus canceled our record of wrongs and raised us to new life by the power of God. And friends, this is this is covenant, okay, old and new. This is covenant. Now, what does this matter? How does this connect to baptism? Let me explain. Here we go. So I want to look at baptism with that in mind. I want to look at baptism from two angles, kind of like 30,000 feet, the literal definition, and I want to hit some of the practical boots-on-the-ground definitions as well. So if you're taking notes, baptism, if, if, you, if, you're, if you don't already know, baptism is literally the physical act of a person going into water going under the water and then coming out of the water. It's simple. It's an act that's been practiced now for thousands of years, both in and outside the church, both in and outside the story of Israel. In fact, the word baptism, which comes from the Greek word baptizo, it translates to mean to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water. And this word baptizo, this practice of baptizo, of baptism, was often used throughout the first century um, Middle East by people in the textile industry. So when they needed to create a new fabric and dye it different colors, they would take these raw fibers and they would baptizo them in water. They would, they would immerse them in water and, and, and then it would clean it thoroughly first so it might emerge from the water different and able to take on new color. Amazing, right? So this is the literal definition, the act of dipping or submerging into water. Now, Practically, what does this mean? As a Baptist church, what does this mean? Well, three things. In the scriptures, we see that baptism is three primary things. It's a ceremony. Baptism is a story. And baptism is a sign. Baptism is a ceremony, a story, and a sign. So let's start with ceremony. I know we already covered this, but baptism is a ceremony where, where someone goes into the water, is dunked, and comes out of the water. But why? Why does this mean? Why do we do it? Let me explain. First, we step into the ceremony, this moment, because Jesus tells us to do it. Shortly after Jesus died on the cross and was raised to new life, he, he called this final meeting with him and his disciples, his friends, with some parting instruction. All the ministry he did after his entire life on earth, all the teaching, all the miracles, this was his his final command as he was leaving earth, his ordinance. He says this, it's on the screen, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, what does it say? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. So there it is. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Baptize them, take them into the water, 
dunk them under the water, then bring them out of the water. Baptizo. Baptizo in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But why? Let me explain. So in the ancient world, the practice of baptism was used to signify a number of things. It was used as a cleansing tool, no doubt. It was also used as a, a, a method of purification for rituals. It was used by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 as a means of repentance or returning to God. But it was also used as a means of public initiation. Public initiation. It was a ceremony of declaring allegiance, submission to authority, and acknowledging of identity. And this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 28. The initiation. The ceremony of initiation. Where a person who wanted to, to follow a new teacher or a rabbi or even jump into a new family would often go through this ceremony of baptism as initiation, as a rite of passage to say that things have changed in their heart, things have changed in their mind, and they want everyone else to know it, just like a wedding. You stand before God and man and you declare this covenant that you have made together, a covenant that you've already made internally. It's already there on the inside, But now, you want to make it official. Externally, through a ceremony. And this next part is really important. Um, I need you to understand that the ceremony of baptism isn't the act that saves you. It's not the act or the, the permission slip that makes you one of God's people. Baptism isn't your moment of salvation. No, it's simply your first step of obedience from initiation. It's your first step of obedience from salvation. It's biblically meant to be the beginning of your faith journey. Baptism is the beginning. And what's so incredible in this moment is that you don't have to have all of your faith figured out. You don't have to be like established with everything in place. You don't even have to know where this new life is gonna take you in the next week or in two years or in 20. You just need to be willing to take those steps. You just need to be willing to take one step, then another, then another. And, and, and friends, when you really believe in Jesus, you don't need to be ready. Because you're already born again in Jesus' name. You're already in this new covenant relationship with God. You don't need to be ready. You just need to make it official. And this is why we get baptized in this public ceremony, just like a wedding, to tell the whole world you're off the market off the market. Almost 12 years off the market. <laughs> to draw a clean line in the sand that says once you were dead, but now you're alive. And now you're going to walk a new way with a new authority, beginning a brand new story with him. Which brings us up to number two, that baptism is a ceremony, but baptism is also a story. It points to a story of new life. It tells a story of God doing what only God can do as he brings new life up from the depths of death and chaos. And we see this story, this narrative of baptism all throughout the Bible from Genesis 1 when the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters and then God spoke life and it began coming up from the depths. It's a picture of baptism. Then Noah story of Noah and the ark, when the water came and flooded the earth to purify the world, but then up from the water a new life, new creation began. This is baptism. 
We get the Exodus, Israel escaping their old life of slavery, to baptizo through the Red Sea, to pass through the waters into new life. Then Joshua, after walking with Israel 40 years in the wilderness, passes through the waters of the Jordan to finally occupy the, the, the new promised land that God has given them. And this is the story we see in the Bible time and time again, as we see carried through baptism. The old life is left in the water as a new life of promise begins. Baptism tells a story. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, hits this home in Romans 6 when he says this. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we, also, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Let me say that again. When we died with Christ, you were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Colossians 2. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Baptism tells a story, guys, of God doing what only God can do in you and what he can do bringing death to life within you. Baptism tells a story. It tells your story of God's faithful affection directed to you so you might choose to live together in a covenant relationship. Baptism tells the story of the gospel, the good news, where Jesus came and died so you might be born again, so you might be welcomed into his house as sons and daughters from here to heaven. Baptism tells a story of God's redemptive work and his new covenant with the world. The ceremony points to a story, and this is why we get baptized. Because when we tell that story, this is point number three, it's the last point today, when we enter the waters of baptism and emerge new as something holy and sacred and mysterious, something sacramental begins to happen. We become a sign. Through baptism, we become a sign. A sign of what? A sign of the new covenant that God has made with his people. Where circumcision was once the sign, right? It was once the defining characteristic of connection with God. Now because of Jesus, praise the Lord, baptism is what marks you as God's property. Baptism reveals where you belong and to whom you belong. Baptism is the new sign of God's promise to you. And this, friends, this changes everything and this cannot be overstated. Because this new sign of the covenant, it ultimately opens up the doors for anyone by faith through the grace of Jesus to join God's family. God's family is no longer limited to a bloodline or to bodies or to genealogy or even gender because the sign is no longer a physical act. It's no longer a physical circumcision for men only. No, it's a spiritual baptism. And that's what we saw in Galatians 3, right? For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in 
baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are his true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And this, Highlands Church, this changes everything. Through the ceremony of baptism as new creation, we all become walking monuments of the saving work of Christ. Because when the world sees us, they don't see the old anymore. The old is gone. Because when we announce the new, the story that saved us. And friends, this is why we get baptized. Baptism doesn't save us. It also doesn't relegate us, nor is it a final act for when we finally, eventually feel ready to show the world Jesus. Now, baptism is just the beginning. It's just the beginning, and it's meant to be the first step of faith that we take. Why? So all the world might know who we are now because of Jesus. Baptism is a sign sign just like a wedding, like the ceremony, the story, the ring. It's all coming together to show a covenant between two parties. It's saying from here on out, from here on out, The old is gone, the new has come. And this is what baptism is and does and why we get baptized. It's a ceremony, it's a story, and it's a sign. Now, with all that said, as baptism is a huge part of the Christian life, one that Jesus says is not an option for his people, The reality is a lot of churches and families of churches choose to practice baptism in different ways. Um, So why do we at Highlands do what we do the way we do it? Why do we practice the ceremony of baptism the way we do? Well, let's start with the water quickly. Where some churches, uh, some church traditions baptize with sprinkling of water on people's heads, we as a church, we choose to fill up the tub and have a person go completely under the water. Why do we do this? Let me explain. First, it's because that's how Jesus chose to be baptized. And as followers of him, we adopt this practice. There's also, like we talked about a moment ago, there's this deep imagery we see in the scriptures of going deep into the metaphorical waters of death and chaos that represent a grave and then coming up to new life and being born again. So this is what we do, and this is the standard that we practice. But that said, I don't want our way or our conviction to imply that every other form of baptism practice is wrong. For example, a number of years ago, um, some of you might have heard the story, a number of years ago when we were in Wisconsin, uh, we were having a baptism service, and there was a woman who wanted to be baptized, gave her life to Jesus, wanted to be baptized, but physically, because of some health uh, limitations on her body, she could not go underwater. It was like the doctor, you can't go underwater. And so we did this, we did some research um, the pastors and the overseers, we, made, we did some research and we made an exception by following a practice that had been done in the desert, the second century Middle East, where some of the early church fathers in the second century living in the desert, they didn't have water around. They didn't have rivers to go and bathe in. There were no lakes to submerge people in. And so they recreated the baptism ceremony using a sheet of fabric. So the woman, this is what we adopted for this woman, um, we sat her down and we covered her with a sheet which symbolized death. And then we pulled it off to represent being born again. And it, listen, I, I still get emotional thinking about this. 
it was a deeply meaningful moment for her, but also for everyone present. And it achieved its ceremonial purpose. It told her story, and she became a sign of this new life with Jesus. So while we believe at Highlands that, that Jesus modeled baptism with his own baptism to be practiced, to be followed, we also believe that it's a ceremony, and the story and the sign matter too, and they matter more than just the H2O. So practically, as a church in the past, we used this built-in baptismal behind the, the curtains back here. If you didn't know, there's a beautiful tub back there, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, now, more recently, uh, we, we used this kind of metal horse trough. Um, not quite as beautiful. Um, so why do we do this? What's the, why would we not use the beautiful thing? Well, let me explain. Uh, does anyone remember a couple years ago when the whole world shut down through something called COVID? Yes, of course. We don't like to talk about it. It's the C word. Stay it away. But during lockdown of COVID, we had a family and a number of people at the church that wanted to be baptized, but we weren't meeting inside at the time. And so we did it downstairs in our covered parking lot. And to do so, we bought this metal horse trough thing. And so ever since, we've been kind of using this thing because it created a lot of flexibility in our ability to baptize. We could do it wherever we wanted. We weren't cemented into a space, but we're also not cemented into this practice. It's just what we were doing for now. Um, a couple months ago, I think we had some, or maybe it was last year, we had people baptized in the middle of the room. Do you remember that? We had church chairs all around. It was this beautiful moment of, of storytelling. And so again, we aren't fixated on the practice. We aren't fixated on the, the, um, the tactics but we are committed to the practice. And so maybe one day we'll do it at the beach. Maybe we'll do it in Robert Thomas's pool. We have no idea, okay? But for now, this is what we do and why we do it. Maybe we'll do it in the tub again. Um, we're open-minded. But that's why we use the trough for now. Um, the last thing I wanna talk about is with baptism is that we practice what's called believer's baptism. And, um, and this might be a disconnect for some, but I just wanna let you know. We believe that baptism is for people that have made a faith commitment to Jesus. As soon as you believe and decide to follow Jesus, the scripture seems to show that the first step should be baptism. So that's what we practice. It also determines our view of baptizing kids or babies. We don't do it because we believe it's a ceremony of personal faith commitment. Now, this doesn't mean that we're critical towards churches that do it, not at all. For some, there are churches that understand there are, there are passages that are a little nebulous about baptizing babies, such as Acts chapter 16 is an example. But our conviction in the Baptistic tradition is that baptism is for believers. Now, what does this mean for those who were baptized as babies before they believed, but are now, you've given your life to Jesus, what does this mean, what does this mean for you? Well, we believe that you should be baptized as a believer. We want you to thank your parents for raising you right. We want you to thank your parents for wanting to create that covenant with God for you. And we want you to thank your parents and honor their investment in you, but now it's up to you. Step into the ceremony and tell your story. This is what we see in the Bible. Step into the ceremony that tells your story and reveals that you are a sign of Jesus' new covenant. And I know this might be tricky, and friends and family, they see things different, but this is what we believe and what we encourage. This is what we believe and what we encourage. Baptism is a step of faith that says you aren't who you once were, and from here on out, you're with Jesus, and that's it. 
This is why we do what we do the way we do, because we believe that Jesus calls us to it, that it's an ordained, mysterious, holy moment of decision to grow deep and wide in covenant commitment and relationship with God, and to project that promise as a sign, that update out into the world, that you are different, you're changed, and good news is available for all who believe. And so as we close today, I know that's a lot, and I know for some of you it's just a recap. But as we close today, I just want to simply put that ordinance before you uh, as an encouragement and, a, and, and also as a request. Just two quick things real quick. First, if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet, um, let's do it. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Not because it's forced on you, but because it already is you, so let's just make it official. We're planning our next baptism service for the summer, and so if you've been on the fence or you're kind of waiting to be ready, don't. It's time to take a step into that ceremony. I believe that you can do it, and I know some of you might be like, oh, I, don't want to, I, don't, I, like, I don't like to be around in big crowds. Just let us know. We'll, we'll figure things out. But this is an opportunity that, for you to step into a ceremony that tells your story of God's work in your life. And you can find more info online through our Connect card or call the church office. Email me directly. Stop by my house, knock on the door, do whatever you need to do. Let's just get it on the calendar, okay? So that's the first thing. If you haven't been baptized, let's make it happen. Second, for those who are already baptized, and I saw so many hands in this room, this is amazing. I want you to take a minute to remember even now that moment in the water. That moment in the water and what it means. Take a moment to remember the covenant, the promise that you made with God and the work he's done to bring you into a new life. Just take a minute to think about stepping into that tub, onto that beach, into that pool, laying down into that, that metal steel container we use, and just take a moment to remember that time in the water beneath the surface. And the freedom that you felt, the freedom you projected, the freedom you revealed as you emerged into that new life. As we go, my challenge for you is let's just continue to live as people of covenant. Jesus made a deal with us. And many of us have already made that decision. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. So friends, let us be a church that continues to live in the newness of life. Amen? After all, baptism is just the beginning. So let us be a church that continues to live new. I'd like to pray for you as we close, and, um, and then we can, we can hit the road. Thanks for listening. Jesus, thank you so much for all the work that you did for us, all the promises you made for us. Jesus, we're so grateful that to be in your house no longer requires a certain bloodline or a certain body modification, God, but instead it just requires your blood, your sacrifice, your work to make us new and to make us yours. And so, God, we're grateful for that today. We celebrate that. We honor that in ceremony. We honor the story that you've given us. And, God, we honor and we want to live out as real signs of your good work today. And so, God, help us remember our baptism. Help us remember that time that we went beneath the surface with you and came out different. 
Jesus, we're so grateful for the work that you've done in us, and we're so grateful for this church. We can be in a place that takes some time that just says, let me explain. So God, if there's anything else in us today, if there's anything else that you need to work on us, God, we ask that you would just lay heavy on our hearts today and that we'd be, that we'd be sensitive to your promptings and to sensitive to your leadings, God. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us again and that you would lead us this week to be more effective, more accurate, and more passionate, enthusiastic signposts of your good news. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this day. And it's in Jesus' name we all said... Amen, everybody. Hope you have an awesome Sunday. Yeah? yeah? All right. We'll see you soon.